Welcome to Houston, where we're at Broadband Communities for a live, in-person, party time episode of Connect This. This is going to be a fun episode. We have four stellar guests, uh, three of whom are not me, and three of whom are chairs of this very conference. So let me start with introducing Heather Gold with Mirrors. Welcome. You have a microphone, right? Does it work? Say thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I can't <laughs> wait to get this party rolling. We're also working on the mic levels. They're going to improve throughout, and maybe I'll be consistent and not drive our tech crazy uh, and where I hold it. Uh, we also have Bob Knight, and Bob is making his first show, I think, on broad, on uh, Connect This, right? And this is our second time sitting down with microphones today. We were on a panel earlier. Uh, where I might have accused you of Sharon stoning the audience. Yes, leading me to a panic because I may or may not have recently been at an event where halfway through it, someone said, your fly's down. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, I have a malfunction. I'm having a wardrobe malfunction here in front of this audience. Um, so uh, Heather's been on multiple times. Bob is uh, first time. And then Kim McKinley is our returning champion. Kim McKinley with Utopia Fiber. I didn't even say who Bob was, but I assume everyone knows who Bob Knight is. But you should say it anyway, just for branding purposes, as, <laughs> as my team is like... Bob Knight is this guy back here, all the Harrison Edwards stuff. That's, that's us. That's Bob Knight. Oh, is it my turn now? It's your turn now. Hurry up, you're running out of time. Okay, thank you. Um, for once, I really want Doug and Travis back instead of these two lovely guests besides me. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't mind Doug we have, back. We do have a chair. <laughs> so <laughs> we, have a, we have a chair here for uh, Travis or Doug, uh, but we're going to make sure other people sit in it. So... <laughs> Um, we have several different topics to talk about tonight, but we are going to demand that some people who are here in the audience come up to join us uh, for a topic here or there as we're going through. But we are going to talk about uh, what we're doing here briefly, what, what's going on with BBC, the Broadband Communities event, and we're going to talk about the broadband definition, uh, talk a little bit about the FCC. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, Heather, what was it you wanted to talk about? You brought up Speed. speeds. What about speeds? You know, whether uh, 25 and 3 ever should have been legit. And right. And what is 120 right? Yes. Right. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, uh, other issues with municipal broadband, which I'm just throwing Yellowstone fiber into that. Do you get, do you chafe when I say municipal fiber, Yellowstone broadband? Chafed, maybe not. But, um, <laughs> you know, irks me a little, maybe a little. <laughs> A tad, a skosh, if you will. I feel like we want to get an update on it, though. It's an interesting project. We want to talk about that. It is a very interesting project. Uh, we're going to talk about American Association of Public Broadband, which this is an important date. Uh, it's a very exciting date. Um, exciting. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all those topics and then other things that people bring up. So uh, feel free to suggest topics in the chat as well as here. And I want to start by just noting that we're at Broadband Communities. This was the first real conference I ever went to when I got into this industry about 15 years ago, probably my first broadband community. I think I've missed one since then. Uh, you all are, are broadband co-chairs of it. Just want to do a quick pitch for people as to what makes broadband community special. But, but we need to talk about as co-chairs, Bob, did you not get the orange memo? I mean, I'm just trying to say. I, I agree. What, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the Oreo between two orange Juliuses here. <laughs> I think what we have to say about broadband communities and Chris you're, is that it has for years been the forum where 
small local communities could come and learn about what they need to do to be ready for broadband deployment. I mean, it's like a safe place. It's, you know, they're not going to be overwhelmed by inc large incumbents and they're going to be able to talk to other people like themselves in the hallways. And it, it really has been a unique experience over the years. And it's been fun. And this is where things happen. The Coalition for Local Internet Choice was born here. Uh, given the fact that it is a one-year anniversary of the American Association for Public Broadband. You just announced our announcement without giving us a chance to announce our announcement. What are we announcing? We haven't announced it. Yeah, it was the one-year anniversary of We announced it I, 20 minutes ago. That's where I learned that. I would have known that otherwise. I know, but not on the show. <laughs> well, I, I, we also have another announcement later this week. We're going to announce our uh, first executive director. So we're pretty excited about that, too. So we'll announce that, um, I think, Wednesday. There's a press conference here, and so we'll find out. Right here? Right here. These chairs. In the very media studio. Making history. Making history. Uh, Warming it up. Heather, you told me that you wanted to talk about how much money we think is going to the big cable and telephone companies. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. So yeah. here's a topic that I want to throw out to the... Oh, we're going to start with that? You're taking over? Yeah. Okay. I like it. Go for it. <laughs> is, this, is my thing working? Yeah. It's yeah, not okay. amplifying in the room. I think it's more oh, for the show. Okay. So here's a topic I think that is very important right now. What percentage of the government funding is actually going to go to communities and small local competitors. I heard today one company positing that they thought 75% of the money was gonna go to small communities and new entrants. And I was like, really? Dreamland. Yeah, I, I am worried about that. I'd love to see that, especially given how the large incumbents mismanage the money they've been given for the last 50 years but i'm also very skeptical about the rules that are in place for all this government funding and whether small entities are going to be able to comply so i'd like to just throw that out to my fellow panelists i feel like you're that's a gentle toss i, I want to see more energy coming from you and i don't know do we need to like spike? i feel like angela has some more wine for uh heather in the back here no. so there's, i feel like come on, yes We've got this. I just don't want to say anything. The Napa Valley dressed in orange. I feel right like she's here. a white kind of girl, yeah, Angela, but, a white kind of girl. Chardonnay, so no. Whatever they serve at the All country. All right, so club. you had a reaction, Kim. I think it's. I think Heather, if you're if you are really that astonished that seventy people are saying no, I was astonished that somebody said it. Well, I mean, there's delusional people everywhere. Um, <laughs> that i think that you're going to see it, it go in reverse 75 percent of the money will go to the big incumbents and i'm going to say something and that my boss is in the room and i probably shouldn't say but there is some people who would say that communities aren't ready for some of this money that's coming down and that big incumbents are more shovel ready or ready to go and Can i'm we, not saying that's the way it would anyone be. come up and defend that in that chair does anyone want to want to defend that? that that communities aren't ready for the money Come on, Timmerman. Let's see it. Hear it. See, while he while he's walking up, I would posit to say that I think sixty to seventy percent of the money will not go towards its, it's intended on. purpose, and I think it will just this you know whether it goes to an incumbent or whether it goes to planning on top of planning on top of planning. I think you know not to be negative, but I I just don't think it's really the so moonshot that we want. Be 
deployment and you don't think it's going to be invested in infrastructure. You think it's going to be twiddled away. I think there's going to be studies after studies after studies after. Oh, I disagree. But I just want to say Travis is not in the chat room, but he's saying 100% is going to the big companies. You're supposed to argue with me about this. Like FirstNet, you know, I remember meeting with the FCC and it's like, this is going to be great. We're going to have regional companies and the local ones are going to be involved and we're going to have all this collaboration. Everybody's going to be following these standards. They come out and when they work the whole thing to AT&T, everybody out. And it was just like, that's what they do. And I think this is going to end up with the same thing. I feel dumber every time the term FirstNet comes up because I still don't understand what was going on with that, what the intent was, how they thought it was going to work, like how AT&T got it. I'm mystified. Roger broke it. Technical you were, difficulties. thought you were Mr. Engineer, Roger. Please stand by. Um, no, but I, this, this is it. So this, yeah. I think you'll see that this regional Well, okay, so I'm going to ask the panel, and I'm going to take over your position here. What can communities do to be in this shape to get the money? Well, I think first you have to have an orange dress, and then once you have that established firmly. It's uh, a skirt. Uh, it is called a skirt. Shoes. <laughs> or shoes, or orange shoes. I think shoes. those are pink, Heather. Wait a minute. These are red. Is orange uh, I mean, supposed look, to go it, with red? Those are toenails. Those are not attire. <laughs> <laughs> so it all comes down to shovel-ready projects, right? Do you, do you have your, your studies ready? Do you have your construction company lined up and, and ready to go? Do you have a good idea of what the costs are? Because frankly, if you don't get the bead, you can still find a pathway forward. And I, and I think the, the most important thing that communities can, can really do and should consider is that, yeah, go for the bead, but have a plan B and a plan C in place because you have to get it built no matter what. And, and thank you for the pitch of my panel tomorrow. If you're at Broadband Communities, it's what if you don't get the bead? Uh, money oh. was yeah see oh. exactly but you guys we saw this exactly after the google big 1100 cities applied right 1100 thank you 1100 cities applied and only one city won at that time and everyone else though a lot of them figured out how to get their act together and go for other funding without google when they didn't win and i think I think you're right, Kim. I think that's what people are going to see because I, I'm not, I would be depressed. I got to tell you, Roger, if it all went to large local incumbents, I mean, they managed to screw it up for so long that, you know, they had less oversight of that USF money than a welfare mother on, on, you know, Medicare. I mean, it was just ridiculous, but, um, yeah, but they're the ones that wrote the rules essentially, I, right? You have the lobbyists who say, Hey, this is where our broadband standards are. And if we said broadband was a gigabit, well, suddenly you have opportunity for new people to come in and find density and populations for feasible project. But you keep that, that standard intentionally low. The only thing that qualifies for bead money are these little tiny pockets in incredibly rural areas where it only is practical to apply for and use that money if it's just an appendage to an existing right. operator. But this is what Congress wanted, right? I mean, this is this is what Congress wanted. But I think what we brought you up here is a question that I find very interesting, which is let's assume for a second that we had our way and we had tens of billions of dollars available to try to solve problems in areas where there is a company right now telling the FCC that it is advertising fast speeds in areas. So that's what we're, we're frustrated with, is all these areas where it is where the existing providers are not getting the job done. And I feel like you're saying, 
And you deal with a lot of local governments, what I feel too, which is a majority, a strong majority of local governments right now have no capacity on this issue and they are intentionally refusing to build capacity on this issue. But I don't, I'm not that, I, I don't think it's that bad. I think a lot of local entities really do want to control their destiny on the broadband issue. Why do you say that? But what, what makes you say that? Well, we were in Columbus with FBA in the fall. Correct. We heard from their regional government people how for his entities in rural South Ohio. Eastern Ohio, the part that dipped the Appalachians. in Appalachia, they had no interest in having an incumbent own their infrastructure. They didn't say they wanted to run it. They did not say they didn't say they wanted to run it, but they wanted to own it so that they could control their destiny. And even at this um, event today, before we started filming at the conference, we've heard from other incumbents that want to own their own infrastructure. They may not want to run it, but then they'll look for consulting entities, subsidiaries like yours, Roger and Kim, to do it for them or a private entity. But I think there's still a lot of communities that are not, that are feeling torn by their experiences with the large incumbents. But like you can, you can feel a lot of things, but if you act on a lot of things is a totally different statement. And I think it's easy to say, I feel this way. I feel a lot of ways, Heather, but what do I act on? I no, think but Heather's I, but I, hang I mean, on, but, but I have a case in point, right? We're, this is exactly <laughs> what's happening in, in my community, community where, where I'm a, a municipal official and where we have lived for 15 years, which is... Um, is it a leafy suburb? It is a leafy <laughs> suburb of, of New York City. Yes, Richfield, Connecticut, beautiful Richfield. Okay, so um, we are exploring a municipally owned fiber network, and I'll tell you why. We actually have some of the best uh, 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 cable service, about 15% of the community is unserved, it's on legacy copper with Frontier. And then 85%, you can make the argument that it's underserved. We have some of the best um, you know, Comcast service probably in the country. You can get you know, 400 down, but like 15 up. Now they've gamed the system a little bit because since the, since the bead uh, rules were, were announced 100 over 20, they, they changed the, uh, the downstream. So you're getting less downstream and more upstream to get it over that uh, that 20 megabits upstream threshold. So all of a sudden, a community which was largely underserved, which would have qualified for some of the bead, now all of a sudden, you know, it is locked out. So now we're looking right, at- Right, but okay, that's the intention. I mean- That's the intention. But, you know, our community still with some of the best cable service in the country wants, 93% of the community mm -hmm. wants that fiber service. Right, right. I, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think Heather's right. The numbers are growing. I just feel like it's still a majority who are not ready to take action on this. But being not ready is a different question because you can get these communities ready. And for an example, and I'm not saying it's um, dispositive, but the state of Colorado has implemented a community certification program whereby you have to go through and it shows if you're shuttle, shovel ready. Shovel ready. Blah, blah, blah. I know. Don't give me any more wine, Angela. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but, but Heather, show, let me ask you the question. I didn't do it. Oh. 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 
We still have electricity. We just lost illumination. Darkness falls throughout the land. <laughs> Where's my wallet? Not the not the first time people have turned the lights off while I'm wow. presenting. Uh, I think it's but, the fourth. I feel like someone's point. leaning on the switch right now. What yeah. is going on? What's happening? It's Twilight Zone. I don't know. I, I feel like people are giving us more thumbs up now. This is funny. This is like oh, you ever you ever like, someone in another room. Have you ever been on a sailboat and you're just like rocking back and forth, overcorrecting? <laughs> All right, I want to I want to give Roger a chance to say any last thing you want to say, and then the yeah, and everyone open up their cell phones and just shine <laughs> on their faces just in case. It's Tiger Woods finishing the Masters. <laughs> so I'll just I just want to leave an example. What we've seen, and a little bit to your point, Heather, is I think you have governmental entities wanting to retain some control or ownership, even if they don't want to jump in and be a broadband provider. Um, we've got some examples like in Utah where the state would appropriate money. They'd say, we have these high schools that in, in rural areas. Come on. <laughs> Keep going. It sounds going. Keep going, Roger. You're and, on a roll. And they'd appropriate millions of dollars. Well, then in the process of things, there'd be an RFP and some <laughs> provider would win the business and they would use these millions of dollars to connect to that high school. And then the five-year contract is up and they say, okay, now we're going to renew this on a new five-year. And they would still charge them millions. And, and the state's like, wait mm -hmm. a second, we already we already built this. And it's like, no, you didn't build this. Some private provider built it with public money and they own it and they're holding you hostage with that publicly funded right. infrastructure. Right. Well, before I was so rudely interrupted by uh, by this one here. <laughs> Uh, You're welcome. You know, I, I, that's that's precisely the reason why why our community wants to own the fiber. We want to make sure that it gets to every street, every corner, and make it accessible to everyone who who wants to take it. That's critically important to us from an economic development standpoint, from a community development standpoint. But you know, I've been arguing with the town because the town's like, well, you know, we we own the sewer system and we operate it. And we're doing a great job. I'm like, yeah, you don't want to be out there, you know, in a hurricane. We get a lot of those. You know, we're 80 percent aerial you know, handling restoration. And, and if you've ever been to our town trying to get a dump permit or for the recycling center, you know, competitive customer service is not the, you know, the strong suit of, of local municipal government. So that's where, you know, the private sector comes in. So I'm a big proponent of, of excuse you me, know, publicly owned my, my customer service is really well um, rated, well rated. So, and you're talking, and I work for a municipal government. Right. But what I'm saying is that that's a culture that you guys at Utopia have instilled. I don't know that we necessarily have that. In, in town. That culture is really important. Services aren't competitive, right? Right. Correct. They, right. They just people have to that, use the city services. Don't you think not. that's the big scary thing for most municipal? Yeah, they're getting into something that's, that's historically it's competitive, been competitive. But and you've seen that it with can the, be done well. Right. Credit. No, I mean, I, I get what you're no, saying, guys. But like, I think that there's a point where we drink our own Kool-Aid too much and we and then we're negative on the other side too much on this whole topic. Right. No. Because I think there's cities who don't want to get into this. Exactly. But they should still have a voice in what happens to the infrastructure investment. Yes, God, I am being emphatic. <laughs> Um, they still should have a voice in the infrastructure investment that goes into their community. I absolutely agree with you. We're going to move on, though. We have to be real, re realistic on this whole spectrum. Are as we, well. though, Chris? We, one of us is. <laughs> I'm going I'm to cut some mics here. Um, we, had a, we had a couple of comments that I just wanted to note. Um, uh, Pennsylvania burned through uh, $200 billion of the AT&T. That's Ruben. I think um, it's, uh, it's a combination figure of the, uh, 
the amount that was overcharged by phone companies in return for promises to build fiber out everywhere, which they did not do. And a question of what is the consequence of an ISP not delivering? This is something we've talked about before. And I'm curious in particular for, for Bob and Heather, um, uh, Doug thinks that what we'll see is a bunch of these big companies getting this money and then building the networks out, not defaulting, but then demanding that they will have to have operating support to continue supporting them. I'm not talking about rural Wyoming here where, where there's legit concerns. I'm not talking about a tribal nation where there's legit like operational concerns. I'm talking about places where an NTCA member would have no problem making it work without continuing subsidy, but where Frontier says, oh, I need a payment or else I'm shutting the network off. Well, ooh, that's a, but I, aren't, don't you feel there are sufficient safeguards in the B program? I do not feel that there are sufficient safeguards. But, you know, um, playing devil's advocate, you know, larger companies have different cost structures. They have different labor structures. They, they, they can't pivot. <laughs> as quickly as, as they write very big companies. checks to their executives. I agree. <laughs> but, uh, but what I'm saying is you, you, sometimes you have organized labor, you know, in, in the mix too. So you, you, there, there are different pressures and, uh, and this is a no defense of, of, you know, sounds like it might be, look, you know, we have, we have failing <laughs> copper infrastructure in, in our community that, uh, that really needs to be replaced. So, but you know, Bob, I'm a big question. Yes, Kim. Okay. Yes. You're yes, welcome. Kim. But like, so you are given, capital to build the network and you don't have enough money coming in from reoccurring revenue to operate the network is that what you're and you feel that we should give subsidies to i uh, i'm i'm just playing devil's advocate to a point i i agree that like it's it's bs and you know the the same uh failed policies that got us into the national broadband mess are not going to be the same policies that get us out of the mess. so maybe this is something we should all be advocating for as the states start and implement their rules that there be some sort of fallback if a company fails to adequate to effectively utilize their because remember it's the states that are giving out the money the feds are just giving the block grant to the state so maybe we should be advocating with the states that there be some sort of fallback if the company fails to live up to its operating well, what does live up to its obligation mean well, if they're not, if they say they need more money when the condition was just capital funds. I think, I think this is something we're not going to resolve here, but I'll just no. note that the states are probably going to turn to the lobbyists from the big cable and telephone companies and ask them how to implement what you're suggesting. <laughs> well, and, and that's exactly the point, right? You know, while we're sitting here debating this, you know, state broadband directors are walking down the street. They stop to stare into a store window and three lobbyists smack into them from behind. <laughs> and, and, I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I was at, uh, we were at uh, one of the regional fiber connects. FBA, Kim's an FBA board member. That's saying yeah, that, right? full, full but, disclosure. Full disclosure, right? Uh, uh, and uh, I was on with the Alabama broadband. Director. I was not a board member. You were not there. And and the uh, the lady who runs Alabama's you know cable uh, just sitting right there at the table, and they were they were the best of friends. And I'm not saying that there's any improprieties going on or anything. And you know both very smart, very talented, very nice people. But there is such a cozy relationship, and this this relationship is deep and it's been around a long time. And as we're sitting you, here trying to find a solution, no, I'll they, tell they're you, they're like they're they're like miles ahead of us the bell bell south was co-located with in montgomery alabama with the alabama hearing room for puc events as someone who has show 
show caused in Alabama at one point in her life. Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> Let's talk more about it. He All right, I want to see if it, I want to see if anyone else in the audience wants to jump up and uh, propose a topic. Save us. Save I'm, us. Members. I'm curious if a certain Janae, someone. Do you have any questions in the back? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious if someone would be interested in coming up to talking about a specific city and some of the challenges they've faced, but understand if that's not practical for where you are right now. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, um, Sean, you can come up. Come on, Sean. Let's see what you got. What do you got? Why don't we just turn this Sean into like on? Oprah's yeah. favorite things? Well, like, I want to talk. Uh, you get a network. You get a network. Everybody gets a so, network. Let's bring Sean up. Sean is uh, is uh, been on the uh, shows previously. He's uh, on our team at the Institute for Local Self Reliance. One of yes. the smartest guys in the industry, too. Oh man. oh, man. It's not a high bar. That's what, it's not a high bar. That's what bar. his references told me. One of his references was like, I've worked in the Capitol Hill. I've done all this stuff. Sean is the smartest person I've ever met. So, <laughs> He's a, yeah, good dude. Have you ever heard when Bob talks about when he talked to the White House? Because he likes to tell that story a lot. Too. Oh, for Christ's well, sake. Whatever he did, I'm sure it worked well. I want to <laughs> I want to I want to talk about the GAO and a recent report that came out, the General Accounting Office. Um, and uh, they just came out with a report about the FCC and the standard for broadband. Uh, we don't really need to talk about the report. I'm probably the only one who read it because I did it on the airplane in preparation for this. Uh, but the did you get the upgrade? I did not. Oh, well, I was in. I got upgrade. My for me, an upgrade is a is comfort is a comfort plus. So, um, <laughs> um, hard knock life, buddy. Um, so the FCC in uh, back when Gigi was advising uh, Tom Wheeler, the chair of the FCC, um, uh, they increased the definition of broadband because it was 2015. They used data from 2014 and earlier and recognized that the previous definition was woefully inaccurate. Um, our current chair circulated a petition uh, or circulated a, a draft uh, uh, to look at that issue last year, and then it disappeared. And the uh, FCC has not considered uh, or has not successfully raised the, the speed definition, uh, which has led to all of the different departments of the federal government and the states basically being like, we're going to make up our own definition because the FCC doesn't matter anymore. So I'm just curious if, if I mean, Heather had said that she wanted to talk about the speeds. Um, I, I mean, I think it's just, can I swear on this show? Light swears, not not hardcore swears. It's crap. Yeah. I mean, is that okay? Is that yeah. a swear? I, My, I tell my son it is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. After going through the pandemic, somebody honestly thinks 25-3, even before the pandemic, was adequate. I mean, come on. I mean, I just, I'm like stunned that they can't just accept 100 over 100 at least as the starting, as the... So you would propose space. a definition that would suggest the vast majority of the country does not have broadband Correct. Access. I mean, Correct. not the vast majority, 60% of the country, I think, Correct. roughly. And I, and I think we get a little hung up on the speed thing because if it's fiber, I know I'm the fiber maven, but if it's fiber, you can infinitesimally increase the speed. I mean, that's the whole deal. They get hung up on the speeds because they're trying to be technology neutral, which is also crap. Right. Because it's not technology. Technology neutrality is not going to get people where we need to be in terms of growth of adequate broadband. So do you think the minimum should be 100 over 100? Yes. So what would you say ideally it would be? I think if it's fiber, then you can just keep putting more and more electronics on it and pump it up. But no. it, if so, you say 100 over 100, they're going to have to deploy fiber. That's sort of the way where I am. Sean, 
former syndicated columnist thinking about this stuff, someone who's been deeply disappointed at government, but hopeful about government solving things for people who aren't familiar with their background. What do you think about when we're talking about all this stuff? I think I'll channel, I think Doug Dawson is who I think really articulated this, which is that most, well, so the disconnect, I think from a public point of view, from in, in terms of really applying like public pressure is that nobody that isn't really into this knows what speeds mean. So people don't really care about speed. They care about so, reliability, and and they want everything. Right they want everything to True. work without without there being, you know, uh, you know. Uh, it just works. And, 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 it, and just it just works. It just works. It's almost like we should have some kind of expert agency which would periodically review these things, being being having a deep understanding of the issues, and then make those decisions yeah. for us. And I mean, I hate to channel Blair Levin. I love Blair. I love Blair. Good, because you know that I'm a big fan. I know. But Blair always Do we made... have to like everything you like to be no. a big fan? I'm just but ready to Chris jump. I... I'll, I'll fight anyone so... on this one. <laughs> but Chris, Blair used to say you need to do the politics of abundance. And does anybody ever ask, do I have enough electricity in my home? Exactly. Or the water. Do you have a big enough water pipe into your home to do what you need to do? Heather, no one asks. In that. my house, it's do you have enough pairs of shoes? <laughs> well, I can empathize. I, I not really not do. helpful. Really not <laughs> okay, helpful. Sorry. But but sorry, sorry. Broadband should just be like electricity and water. You should just turn it on and you have what you need. I mean, li literally, we would not be having this conversation, you know, a hundred years ago. Could, could you imagine sitting here and saying? Well, you know, electricity is the wave of the future, but you had some well-funded candle lobby saying you just light more candles and, and right. more matches and it'll no, take it, care of it. It's enough but, to light, light what you need. But, but this, that's the that point, with though. The, with the uprise of the car and the horse and body. But this is this. I think this is a very good point. Like, like there was no dishwasher industry to be like, we need more electricity. Right. Right. Like it took a while. Right. Right. You know, and I want to meet a dishwasher lobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's got to be. Right? <laughs> I'm from the American yeah. Appliance Association. And we're... Yeah, I, but no, I and I think it's, it comes down to the way you talk about it. I've heard you talk about it a lot like this, Chris, which is because I think the speed stuff gets into like, all right, well, how much, you know, how much does an individual need or but the way to think about it is, you know, in, in like as, as a household and and that you build these things the way we do our roads and our highways it's like right. you know you build a highway for maximum traffic you know for it to be able to handle rush hour traffic maximum capacity and nobody says it's a waste that we have these highways at two o'clock in the morning because there's only five cars on the road. exactly right exactly i think that's a little bit of the complication right we don't know what happens behind when somebody builds a highway sean right but then we expect people to understand all the technicalities of what happens behind broadband. And I think that's fair, uh, unfair to the average consumer because they don't know. But they don't need to know. Like this that's is right. this is the part this is the part that I get at, which is great setting me up. You know, this is how you deal with a boss when you're on a public <laughs> panel, um, which is that local governments take that on. Local governments have refused to build up this expertise. Right. I mean, it is I, I hear from people who are like, well, the pandemic showed that uh, it's not uh, luxury anymore. I couldn't find anyone in 2018 who would say this was a luxury, exactly. right? But Not let publicly. me challenge this. Nobody as a city official knows how you build a road and understand the capacity. They have an entire department of public works that has figured but it out. But they do. But I mean, like, but the city council, and then we expect city council members to understand about 
broadband, right? And like we expect them to when they make the decision to make them. Because like as Roger, my boss, I'll give him some credit right now, said earlier is nobody has a city broadband office, right? And that's something well, let's, that you let's need. go talk to the let's talk to the city council members of Sandy, Oregon, where there was one that got it, right? Let's talk to I don't know if there's a single one that, that sort of gets it in Fairlawn, Ohio, you know, like Wilson, North Carolina. They have teams of experts that they trust to do this. And how do you know who to trust in this industry when everybody's coming in and saying, I have the expertise, I know better than you. We go by pairs of shoes and size of glasses. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I appreciate this. Now you can shut me up. Go ahead, Bob. Have a question from the audience. Yeah. Laura Lewis. Uh, so can you um, give her the mic, Sean? Yes. Come Thank on, you. Laura. You can Come on, Laura. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Orange stripes. You have some orange stripes. stripes. Okay, great. Orange stripes. Um, so I think local governments don't know where to start, and I would state that every- And Laura, where do you work from? So we could just oh, know, I'm yeah. Laura Lewis, Lewis Young, Robertson, Birmingham. I do finance for local governments, including a lot of fiber projects. Um, every successful local government fiber project has had a champion, period, end of sentence. I Give me the project, I can tell you who the champion was, because there has to, they don't have a department. So there's got to be someone who is passionate about it that's willing to find the solutions because they're out there. They need to know who to ask mm -hmm. and at least start asking the questions. Oh, I don't know. Here are four people. Call them, right? <laughs> so that's my But, I mean, comment. from your perspective, like I'm going to say, there's a lot of people who are out there being consultants right now. And from a financial advisor position, you have to be a little selective of do we believe what this consultant's actually yes. bringing to the table. So how do you figure out, like, with a partnership of who – is legit or whatnot uh, if if a local government's willing to support it and they've done their homework relative to take rates um you know i i might get massacred for this there are feasibility studies that are way too wordy that go on way too long about stuff we don't care about quite frankly right want to sort of show me the numbers, show me what people's current speeds are. Do they, are they willing to pay X for more speed and kind of down to the simple nuts and bolts, right? If they've done a community, a reasonable broad community survey and can show that, I think the deal's doable. Interesting. I, I just come back to this though, that I feel like local governments and I'm, it's a broad brush. In some cases it might be mayors, city council members, others, I think they have this sense that I don't want to take responsibility for this. I think this is going to get worked out by the federal government or someone else, and we don't have to figure that out locally. So we're going to hope that someone else is solving it. And I think that was reasonable in 2017 and 2018, but I just still see way too much of it right now. And so, you know, it's about kicking the can down the road. You know, if you're an elected official, and we talked about this uh, on a panel earlier today, it's about, um, you know, political cover and it's about courage. And courage has to be engineered when you are in. I government. did like that line. That was and, good. And and it, it's it's Bob the is now quoting truth. himself. It, no, but it's it's the absolute <laughs> truth, and you're verifying it. This is a quote by Bob from Bob. <laughs> from no, but Bob. <laughs> ready, record. <laughs> uh, but but the the reality is that unless local officials see that there's a problem, right? The, I'm a big believer that that fiber projects should address a community need first and foremost and you work your way backward from that community need. so you know in in some communities it's that you know there's massive inequities in other communities there's an economic development problem like like mm -hmm. in ours right uh, you know we wanted to position ourselves for the next wave of the economy and that's work from home how do you do that 
you know, ubiquitous fiber, right? So start there, work your way backwards, and then the political courage starts to come into place. No, and but Laura, what Laura was saying true, and we heard this um, today from when we were talking to Charlie Denny, that his name from West Huntington, from oh Huntington. he was yeah from, from, from West Virginia yeah yeah, yeah. so the he city was of Huntington in West Virginia hunting. so he was making the comment that he had gone to some rural communities he had been invited to come to some rural communities in West Virginia that were like not near anything and they had the comment had been made is we don't have the political infrastructure to make this happen and I think whenever you look at um, anybody's fiber toolkit, community toolkit, and these have been around for a long time. Um, when I was in Virginia on the broadband board in 2008, we put one together. And what's number one? Find your champion. I mean, find your Michael Wack from Westminster. Find your Charlie Denny. Robert from Wack. Robert, Robert Wack. Wack. But yeah. I'm going to challenge you. I know you know who he is. Michael Wack is a lawyer, but... Um, but but Heather, I'm going to challenge this, and maybe um, Bob, who works in this industry a little bit more than I do, is you can have a champion, but you can have a rogue champion. And right. a rogue champion can be very harmful to a project versus um, helpful to some degree. No, but I think, dating, well, right? Yeah. But it's dating. You need, that, you need someone. And, you and, need someone. Yeah. Or like a Charlie to pull it together in, in West Virginia. You do need that person that's going to... I mean, look at, look at Jen Gregory in upstate New York, yes. which what she oh, did yeah. there in those eight counties. Yeah, she has gotten those eight counties together. She's gotten them energized. She's gotten them fired up. She probably has the closest relationship with the uh, state broadband office out of any other region in the state. And they're going to be successful. They're going to move forward because, you know, the, the broadband office knows them. They understand the the dire needs. And that's one person organizing, right. well, and, you know, a machine. And I would add a doggedly persistent champion. Yeah. I mean, I, and names that come to mind might be Greg with Bozeman Fiber, right? I mean, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. He was going to figure out how to get it done. And you it's have, Yellowstone Fiber, by the way. Yellowstone Fiber. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, you know, well, I can he was name also other names from fiber. Utopia. I mean, there, there had to be believers when it was hard. I mean, they were hard. It was hard when, you know, they were the pioneers. And right. These are people that this is not the case where um, you're like, this is a good idea. Uh, we're going to start organizing around it. We're going to have a string of success, 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 success. That's going in a bad direction. Sex. And sex. <laughs> There's a lot of sex in these projects. I'm telling you, like people are missing out. Fiber is sexy. <laughs> it is the least sexy industry I've ever is. been a Oh, no, no. I think the no, dishwasher conventions are worse. Um, At least they're clean. <laughs> and this is where I don't speak. <laughs> the, the point is, is that this is a situation where you start organizing and you're going for six months and you're not sure if you're going to have much success and then you find out that you have a major setback. And the question is, what do you do at that point? Because we've seen projects where they've really struggled. And like, if these things were easy in these areas, someone would have built it already, right? This is why Utopia does not have a documentary that's premiering in two days here, because we've never had any troubles of setbacks that you have to be <laughs> persistent on. So, I mean, you're right, right? You're, you're right that, that some have setbacks. In Broken clock. But, you know, we even see that at the local level, like right with our project. Now, you know, I just happen to be a municipal official and, you know, a broadband industry professional. So when I, I got to speak quickly before you interrupt. Right. So like the, you know, it's like every week, like there's there's some other thing comes up. 
you know, oh, well, we've already built it. No, it's middle mile that's passing. No, you, you just, it, it's like whack-a-mole. Like every, every excuse <laughs> oh. in the book, you have to, you have to yep. push back on it. Right. Doggedly persistent. Yeah. Doggedly. I love that. Doggedly. I want to yes, go. Can't be, are you, <laughs> I are we go about back. to have a duet or something? I feel like we missed an opportunity, though, for a law firm that was whack, whack, and whack. <laughs> so, you, you, you are like i'm a public official i'm this i'm this and i'm like oh are you am i is that is that so <laughs> i do want to ask what's going on with yellowstone fiber um yellowstone fiber in case you haven't been in the u.s this year it has a we've had a really brutal winter um and up in bozeman and gallatin county where the yellowstone fiber project is being built it has been a little bit rough um when you have 18 inches of frost going into april um, and you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to do some boring. It gets a little challenging. So we're excited that uh, in the this week, I think we started doing in-home drops again, and we start doing um, in-home installs starting in the middle of May. So we're really excited, and uh, we're just hoping for no more snow. What was your construction when, when did you anticipate getting, you know, back into the ground after the I, winter? I think we were March, looking April. at like March, hopefully. Wow, yeah. And you're talking mid-May. Yeah, and tough winter. And that's where when you come into some of the challenges of these community networks is when you have you anticipate to, for the winters to look like the past five winters. And then you have one of these that we've had some record snows um, fall and frost. Mm -hmm. And like well, I would think okay, that Laura so, would say, how do you how do you build a financial model when you don't understand weather? So weather's hard. What else is going on? Anything hopeful? That they, they get me I mean, to I, work with them. I did I did not ask you what's going on with Yellowstone Fiber as a gotcha. Like I assume there's like some enthusiasm. No, I think that the, the, the demand, we're seeing incredible demand there. We're excited to have a record breaking summer. I think we're looking at hopefully putting in two thousand installs in the next four or five months. And it's gonna be a little some sleepless nights, some more Botox for me. I mean, there's gonna be a lot to keep me looking at this orange as I am tonight there, Chris. <laughs> I don't think the Botox leads to the color, but I'm not an expert on these things. You never know. Here's the name of this episode. Orange is the new whack. <laughs> <laughs> Any last comments, Laura? I think there was a, a comment yeah. maybe Kim made about, um, you know, how do you build a financial model around that? <clears throat> and that is you, you plan for some disruption, right? I mean, so I mean, we don't start debt service the day you start right. and digging then, and putting in fiber. We push that off so that you have time in case there are, you know, so it, there is some planning and there is some flexibility built into that. So right. in, the, mean, in the construction business, which is 70 to 80% of your costs, on the 100 million, 100 items on your line, on your line items, when you're negotiating with your construction um, crew, let me alert you to look for the one entitled rock adder look at roger laughing <laughs> rock adder means that's you, sort of the line item that is there in case the construction crew encounters something that wasn't supposed to be there namely rock <laughs> and every, and they, especially right but but most most of these projects people like forget to have the construction team you know at the at table the in the beginning right. to be looking at these things and evaluating these things but and but that's a hard tweaking. conversation because if you're in the beginning stages you need the construction company but how do you know you need them if you don't know if it's getting off the ground too it's like a whole big like, but if construction okay. company is but this you. is, I mean, this is part of the deal of any kind of large civic project, I feel like. And that's why you might authorize in a project that's expected to cost 105 million, you might authorize 120 million 
you go out and you start spending the money and then you tap into that if needed so that the cable and telephone company can then pay a lot of money to some company that says you are a failure for tapping into the extra 15 million. That's kind of how it all comes together, I think. This Rock is a very po positive like episode that we're having right now. <laughs> very positive. I'm having a good time. Um, does anyone else want to come up and I'll... Yeah? Angela, so, you're coming. Uh, Angela's coming come up second. Mike's coming up first. Nope. Nope. Let's bring up Mike. Mike's been on the show. Uh, Mike's been on the show in the chat room. And he is drinking a Shiner Bock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, brewing your bond. Right. Yep. Is that the room Mike, yep. Mike himself has worked on fiber optic and wireless right. projects. So a little bit too much expertise here. Just cool it a little, okay? Yeah. Well, I live in San Francisco, and we're very pretty, but not very functional. Yes, Ezra Klein um, seems to have, have a column about that. Yeah, we're pretty popular, so I don't really want to beat up on our city that much. But um, one of the big issues we've had is executive leadership. I mean, you can have all the internal champions wanting fiber, because we have that in San Francisco. Until you have executive leadership, nothing happens in a big city. You know, Chris, you brought this up about how big cities just can't do this. They have not been able to. I would. I, I'm. I'm going to keep any big city that wants to do it. Well, LA County is doing a great job moving yeah. forward at this point. Don't you think it's because the politics in a big city are that much more are so much more cumbersome than in a small community where there's a little more degree of homo homogeneity? Yeah, I think that's what Mike's getting yeah. to. I think yeah. one of the issues no, we can. also have is um, lobbyists. You know, the last our last attempt at fiber was ended by one of our board supervisors saying. There's something else that's going to replace it. It's five, five, five G. Oh, and that's how we ended our last attempt at city fiber. Yeah. And Starlink is next, right? Actually, my question was, what's going to happen when the ACP funding goes away? Ooh. Yeah. It seems to me that when you talk about like how. It's not going away. I mean, come on. I mean, earlier today, oh we God, saw the presentation it. from yeah. Brownsville right, with BTX Fiber. And this is an exciting project that I think is terrific. Far Texas built this network. Right. And if Congress fails to put more money into the ACP, these projects are going to have very big challenges because these are cities where they are expecting, I would say, half of their revenues, or I mean, I'm saying this, I don't know, 40, 50% of their revenues might be coming from ACP due to the poverty in those areas. Can we make a poll of who thinks ACP will be refunded on this panel? And who, who thinks that, let's put it this way, who thinks ACP will be funded before it runs out of money? So this would be before the last check is written. There's I feel more like money there goes might in the account. Be five cents in the account, but it. I think it's going to get. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> no one else. No one else is raising their hands here. Who thinks there's going to be a significant gap of let's say more than three months where there's no money in ACP and then it's refunded? Oh. Okay. More hands. Are, who thinks it's gone and we're just not going to get more money into the ACP? John, you can't vote twice. <laughs> so we. I mean, so majority of people in the room. It wants to let chip laps come on guys let's be realistic no nope. kids are gonna die from starvation you think they're gonna refund acp i think that um the big cable and telephone companies uh oh, well, are gonna put in a, a big effort but i think it's also gonna be such a large amount of money because it's gonna be a multi-year refund i think you're gonna be looking at a bill that's between 20 30 40 billion dollars and people are going to freak out. There's going to be a one-time refund of that, and then I don't think it's going to be refunded after that. Do you that. think? Let me ask you this: Do you think the Lifeline and the ACP will work in conjunction? How long do you think they're going to both be? In yeah, life? that. I, this really depends. I mean, um, I have about um, uh, this much faith that the there's, there's squeezing my fingers together as hard as I possibly can that the this FCC will deal with um, 
the lifeline reform and the uh, contribution reform. So uh, I, um, I think there's a, there's a path there. But I do not see anyone that wants to like make the hard decisions to make this happen. And so thank God we have such a functional FCC and, and something we were talking about earlier today, right? Whether whether it was Gigi Sohn or anyone in that position, right? The 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 large incumbents don't want a functional FCC. You know, yeah. it could have been anyone. Yeah. So thank you, Mike. Um, we have, for people that want to track this, uh, acpdashboard.com. Um, we put it as running out as early as, um, April, as August or September, as late as August or September next year. But if we are successful with the new efforts to sign new people up, uh, that will happen much sooner than That's that. That's what's so baffling to me is that we're putting more efforts for people to sign up, but we have no pathway forward if it's going to be refunded. Okay, Angela, the most stylish person. Angela, in this, in another this room. person has been on the show in the past. Welcome back. Also, a veteran of our of our first live show in an event. <laughs> yes, which I have to say, big difference between that live show and this live show. <laughs> uh, I believe we were in a shed with uh, gravel underfoot. So the difference between what broadband has and what digital equity space has. I'm gonna need some sponsors. Can I just? Okay, but that was like say. no offense to everybody in this room. It was a more hipper location <laughs> than we are right now. It was a it was a wonderful ice house, the uh, friendly spot in on uh, San Antonio. Uh, it was wonderful, um, and uh, was not well mic'd uh, uh, for the crowd. It was an incredibly hard room to mic, so almost no one could hear us. So, uh, so but but it was fun. Yeah, welcome back. So you you wanted to come up because uh, we're talking about about this. So I also talking about ACP. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think we. I don't know if we're gonna get it, but we need ACP and we need Lifeline because there's lots of folks still using Lifeline for phone service. Mobile phone service. Mobile phone service. And a few folks still have it on there. Sure. Right? Like we folks need both. We all have phone and home service. Right. There's a broken market in both, and so both are unreasonably unexpected. Do you think we should clarify them? Like, what, like, so could we like say that Lifeline was for more phone was service? Was for phone? We, we yeah. could possibly, right? Um, I, I think the future has to be getting a that short-term money for to keep ACP going, and then we have to. And I know this is very scary. We have to figure out USF, like Universal Service Fund. Universal Service Fund. We have to figure out um, how we use Universal Sun Fund, use Universal Service Fund, and have enough money coming into it. Let me ask know, the question: the What do you? How do you think it's going to get funded as like traditional phone service? It dies away. Wait, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your question is. So you, you see, no like, one knows. Yeah, like <laughs> no one knows. But you're saying, I believe in you, Kim. I believe in me. So you're seeing it, the people are ditching traditional phone service, yeah. which is how USF is funded, right? So where are we going to get the funding to continue at USF? Facebook. Maybe Facebook. I think a logical, and you all can not fund net inclusion when I say broadband service. Well, that's Facebook. No, 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 it's no, two different things. Not. One is one is a tax on broadband service, uh, which would be appropriate uh, in that um, we all would be then contributing to make sure that everyone can can get it. That's how the phone service worked, right? That's how we made sure that everyone had phone service was businesses and people in urban areas paid more and people in rural areas got affordable service. Um, the second option would be to tax like some kind of online advertising or something that would go after Google and Facebook right, and right, others. Right. Um, but we need Congress to do that one. The FCC could potentially, if we had we had five commissioners, could figure it out with broadband. 
Yes. And additionally, I'll just note that, uh, as Carl Bodie would say, if he was here, uh, Congress is interested in talking a tough game about the tech companies and talking about how we have to um, punish TikTok while not actually doing anything to protect any of our privacy or actually resolve any of the massive problems that we have with those big companies. Okay, what was your name, sir? What was your name? Mike. Mike. So, like, Mike made a perfectly clear explanation. It can look good, but it doesn't have to be functional, and I think that's what you're talking about. The FCC can look good. Yes. It doesn't necessarily have to be functional. I'm not sure they even look good right now. Okay, fair enough. No, they look gone. I mean, if you asked me to draw a picture of the FCC, it would be like the classic picture of the cow eating grass. You know, familiar with this, the cow eating grass? Where's the... Art to you. <laughs> the, the, the cow eating grass. The, the question is, is where's the grass? The cow ate it. Where, where's the cow? The cow left with no grass. Why would it stick around? It's a piece of white paper. I've heard all that's, of That's this. the FCC. That's my picture that's a, of the FCC right now. It's four ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a little bit lost. On Fourth grade humor. Come on. Okay. Come on. Okay. I'll just, okay. I want to know. I want to know. Um, grass. Mixed media. I, I thought that was going to go over better than it did. I'm hoping that someone in the chat in five <laughs> seconds is going to be like, grass, yes, though. cow eating grass. Come on, people. Uh, Angela, yes, tomorrow we're talking about digital equity more we broadly. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, in the in the digital equity space, broadband is like is the actual service itself is a piece of things, but not always. Right. So when we talk digital equity, it's that affordable access to the Internet, the devices, the digital skills, the tech support. Um, and, and when we were when you all were talking up here about the champions, one of the things I was thinking about um, is that in a lower income community, who's the champion? Because to be a champion, you have to have some time and some resources to be a champion. Yeah. How did Wanda do it? So, I mean, Wanda is like one of your superstars. She's on your board. Um, I actually. I, I actually think so Wanda's in in Cleveland. I actually think it was the attention on it. I don't think it was I think Wanda's doing her thing. Wanda's teaching digital skills and everybody loves Wanda and she brings folks together. I don't think she was harassing AT&T to come. I think it was the attention that NDIA and others brought on Wanda's community that brought fiber to Wanda's. Can I ask community. Angela a question, Chris? Okay. Please, I'm excited. Angela. So I think that we see that broadband and digital inclusion are very much tied, right? But I feel like we all are in separate lanes of the interstate sometimes. So how can we work together better as an industry to make sure that broadband and digital inclusion can kind of meet in the middle? Because we're, our ultimate goal is the same. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways. One is that space around um, building champions and building coalitions. So co coalitions, we just, we NDIA has been tracking them. We haven't publicized it yet, but we have 86 digital equity coalitions that we are aware of in the United States. That's crazy. Prior to the pandemic, it was about a dozen. So they are really, so this was kind of the issue you all were bringing up earlier is like, well, are people really paying attention to some of this stuff? In some places they really are. And These are like metro-wide typically. Some of them are countywide. Some of them are multi-county. Some are in rural areas now. Like that's part of the expansion. A few are even statewide, which is exciting. Um, but having having those places where folks can come together and have these conversations, so it's not one champion. It's a whole coalition right. that's moving it forward. And in some some of the more urban spaces, per the conversation about whether or not there are um, urban plate urban cities that will be able to figure out a new solution themselves, owning it or managing it or whatever. In some of those places, the conversation is we need a coalition that can help move the conversation forward mm -hmm. because just as you were also talking about, people know they don't understand it, don't understand the tech, don't understand, they just want it to work. 
They just want it to work. And so if we have more folks who do understand it, then it's not one champion. It's a whole group of champions. Okay. We have a couple, couple minutes left. Talk me off the ledge. And I'm curious if Heather has a response to this too, because you've been tracking this industry for a long time. The Are federal you saying she's a little bit older? I am not saying that. Chris is being very careful not to get into the ages of stuff. <laughs> Okay, what's Specifically this? tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear it. So, I I have it I have a hard time encouraging my staff to participate in the digital discrimination work the FCC is doing because I don't think the FCC is going to do anything on it. I might be overstating my position here a little bit, but I'm curious, Angela and and Heather in particular, but also then Bob, um, not from Kim, um, uh, thoughts about this because I just have no faith the FCC is going to do anything that matters. So here's I think you're right, but here's what does matter is that we have to set it up to be able to fight again. So what can we set up now? Things like, how are they collecting data? What data will they make available? If we can get the structure set up for the data collection, whether it's from companies or from the public, that's what we can use later to come back and fight again. So, so I appreciate Angela's analytics and approach to this. Because basically, I think this is a fight like so many others today that is going to be at the local level. And I mean, you're lucky if you get a statewide effort, but it's going to be almost door to door fighting on all of this stuff. Just like it's going to be community to community on who goes for the bead money, it's going to be door to door on digital equity, community by community. And I agree that we need we have to collect the data at the FCC level and see what they're doing and how it matters. But I think in terms of impact, we really, it's the community by community. And, and those that's the coalitions. That's what's happening right. right now at the local level. But I think the data collection is so that we can go back to the FCC in whatever amount of time, five years, 10 years, whatever, and fight this again at the FCC level. I mean, we're almost into a community organizing effort. Yes, yes. You know, I'm no digital equity um, expert, but, you know, right. w one question that I, I've always wondered is uh, the, uh, the digital equity movement, there, there's a lot of people who are really well-intended, but they're really having a hard time moving the conversation, engaging their communities, moving everything forward. And, you know, you know, I guess, Angela, what are what are some examples that you've seen in your work in 30 seconds, where, where, in 30 seconds um, <laughs> that, that are really innovative, where where people are having some impact? Because I re I'm really curious about those stories that there's there's now she has 15. Shut up, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots. Let me just say digitalinclusion.org is our website. Uh, join the join the community. And um, afterwards, Bob will sit and talk about all the things. Have you considered regional events? You have a wonderful national event. We just had it recently. Um, uh, I'm just why curious. Why was it warmer in what, what, what was that, February? San Antonio. In San Antonio than it is in May in so, Houston. Uh, the reason for the regional, which we've considered, but the, it's always money, 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 right? Like, can sure. we figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't break our bank? Yeah. You've already asked for money earlier in this podcast. I keep asking for money. Yeah. No, I mean, let's, 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 as we're, we're as we're wrapping up here, like I think it's worth noting. I mean, at this point, the country has spent um, uh, many tens of billions, approaching a hundred billion dollars, inefficiently. Uh, we are now spending many tens of billions of dollars, hopefully slightly more efficiently, and we've allocated all of three or four billion dollars to digital equity. I mean, if you include the BTOP money, maybe less than five billion, but approaching five billion dollars for this problem, which 
which is a greater problem in terms of the number of people involved than the infrastructure problem. We get very excited about our 2.75 billion, um, and we talk about it as being historic, but I think it's actually the beginning, and we have to keep figuring out how to fund this because technology is going to keep changing, so we're going to have to keep figuring out how to teach people how to use the internet. Yeah, yeah. we just did a report that is available uh, on our websites on ILSR.org as well as communitynets.org about telehealth, and we looked at 10 rural counties and the amount of money that um, could be saved from uh, modest telehealth interventions if people had access. And we did our, this event with Southern Rural Black Women's Initiative, and they had on people who are talking about uh, their experiences with telehealth. And the amount of um, money that we are wasting right now, because we haven't made basic investments in infrastructure, but then on top of that, the digital equity to make sure people have the devices, the confidence, the training to be able to use them effectively and affordable connections, uh, it's remarkable. And so this is not one of those things where it's like, oh, we, we freed up $2.75 billion. It's more that we made a small investment that is probably going to result in tens of billions of dollars of benefits from people being more productive and that sort of a thing. And that's what I think, you know, just to refuse to end the show, that's where I feel like, I just feel like this is the, the conversation we were sort of talking about earlier, the conversation that needs to happen. People don't appreciate the way this money works in that this is not like an investment where um, you know you just—it's obvious to tell what the returns are, but there are so many benefits that come out of this that are hard to like measure. A mustard seed. Is that mustard seed? Do those a tiny mustard seed? Oh, you guys are. Oh, yeah. You're gonna have the to the cow. Right. Did, did the Thank cow? You. Did the cow eat the mustard seed? One person in the room. One person in the room who understands this. So, oh, Roger so, knows what I'm talking about. The tiny mustard seed grows into an entire enormous plant. I would just like to stop here, Travis and Doug. I, that was my form of. They didn't comment at all. A, I'm on a rant. Whatever. I mean, that, we're that gonna. Was, that was your mild rant. They can get to a yeah. bigger rant. Yeah. So yeah. Great Poupon over here in the Rolls Royce. You know. <laughs> you know. In the fancy orange scarf. In the fancy orange scarf, back from her fancy I family vacation. I know what a mustard seed does. <laughs> she was from Italy. Have you ever planted you a mustard seed, Heather? Code? Well, that was, okay. Well, that was a oh. All right. So I want to. <laughs> I want to do a couple of thanks here. I want to thank Heather. Thanks for coming on. Thank I want to thank you. Bob and Kim. Thank you for for welcoming me into the studio that that Harris Harrison Edwards has set up for being welcomed here as a, at the AAPB, American Association of Public Broadband uh, reception to do this event. I wanna thank Utopia Fiber for making this happen. Thank you. You're welcome, Chris. And, and I really like that you used your I feel words. I think you've made real progress. <laughs> do you feel like it was a lot of emotion behind that? I feel it was, it was an impassioned uh, display of gratitude. I wanna thank Angela for jumping up here. I wanna thank, thank Mike. You. I wanna thank Laura. I wanna thank everyone who was- Roger, definitely, for being the first one to break the seal. Thank you. Can I, can I make one thanks, too? I'd like to thank Julia Emmerich, our yes. Harrison Edwards VP of Operations, who basically pulled all this together in very short order. Thank you, Julia. And Rye behind the scenes, making it happen. James behind the camera, making it happen. And um, uh, Angela, who's not in the room for getting the wine for Heather, really helped out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. We are going to be back either, I think it might be next Friday, um, uh, but we'll be back sometime soon for another episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.